Good evening. Welcome to The Pipeline. This is the Western Standards weekly panel show where we'll pick a few top burning issues and analyze them, dissect them, break them down and try to make the sense of them. Oh, a lot of issues these days aren't terribly sensible. So thank you all for tuning in. My name is Corey Morgan. I'm a columnist with the Western Standard, and I'm joined by two other members of the Western Standard. I'll go from end to end. I'll neglect Nigel and start with our news editor, Dave Naylor. Thanks for coming in. It's been a while since you've been on the pipeline. It is. Uh, good to be here. I'm uh, kind of sad you neglected Nigel. Well, Nigel gets a crack at this every week, and this is our opinion editor, Nigel Hannaford. All right, I get used to it. Oh, yes. Well, you get that final word, though, throughout the introductions and who maybe. No married man ever gets the last word. No, that's true. I know better than that as well. I like learning things the hard way, though. Three times, isn't it? And something like that. <laughs> <laughs> this isn't a marriage advice show. This is news and issues. <laughs> and our, I think our advice is of more value with that anyways than our uh, perhaps other. Maybe we'll do a special another time on that. And we got lots to talk about today. I uh, guess we'll get right into it. Uh, we'll talk about Trudeau, our Prime Minister has, has gone to India and uh, represented Canada yet again at a G20 summit, Dave. Yeah, and just when he couldn't embarrass us anymore, he finds new ways to do it. Uh, you remember his last trip to India, Corey? It was just a debacle. He played Mr. Dress Up, uh, you know, pretended he was a, a native Indian, and uh, I think even the Indians were, were embarrassed for him. And, but he sort of didn't learn his lesson this time. Uh, uh, he wasn't invited to key meetings. Uh, he, uh, he and the Indian Prime Minister don't get along. They don't like each other. Uh, that was that was plain to see. Uh, Trudeau asked for a private meeting with uh, the, the Indian Prime Minister. Didn't get one. Uh, the only thing, uh, he, he was asked what Canada had to contributed to the final uh, communique. He said uh, gender, language. You know, just 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 blather, and then just when you think it couldn't get any worse, his plane broke down, and uh, he was stuck in India. So uh, uh, they sent a, a rescue plane to get him, and that uh, uh, turned around uh, just as it got over Europe because they they fixed the plane. So the rescue plane was diverted, and uh, he finally got back to uh, to Canada late uh, Tuesday night. So. Uh, Another foreign trip, uh, Nigel, that uh, he won't uh, look back fondly on. I even though, sorry, even though he did take his son. Can't take his the estranged wife, so did take the son out of school and uh, had him parade around in fancy dress too. This would be the, uh, the young man who's one of the kids who wasn't going to be made a spectacle of. Yes, the one that he pleaded yes. for privacy for, correct. Okay. Well, you know, the, the, one of the tragic things about this is that... Um, Harper left the state of relationships between India and Canada in tremendously good condition. First of all, he and Modi liked each other. I mean, they would, they're both economists, so they would sit there and tell each other economist jokes. Sounds really. Yeah, you know, all the economists in the world were laid end to end. They still wouldn't reach a conclusion. Oh, that's, you know, what a good, tell me another one. <laughs> but uh, it's the, um, it, it, the fact of the matter is that, that um, they, one of the, the signature accomplishment was to set up a deal for Canada and more specifically for Saskatchewan to supply uh, 
uranium for the atomic energy program in India. And that's what is now on the, on the table in talks that our government, our federal government, our liberal government, the government of Mr. Trudeau, has just broken off. Um, you can imagine how they feel in Saskatchewan. You can imagine how they feel in India. But you can imagine how they feel in Saskatchewan. They have just been undermined by their own federal government. It's kind of how we feel in Alberta when we have an environment minister who wants to shut down our key industry. So there's, there's that whole aspect to it. But the, the, the way in which Mr. Trudeau goes there and seeks to moralize, you mentioned the, the, uh, the LGBT stuff, but it goes much deeper than that. He has chosen to have opinions about Indian protest movements and if you want to know how that feels to the Indian government, just imagine Prime Minister Narendra Modi saying, well, you know, it seems to me those convoy guys had a point. They would go nuts in Ottawa if any other foreign leader said that about what is, when all is said and done, an internal matter of dispute. doesn't matter what you think about the convoy, whether you're for it or against it, to have somebody else from another country weigh in on it would be most unwelcome. And you could see why, therefore, when uh, Mr. Trudeau was saying kind words to about uh, uh, people who were farmers, I believe they were, a couple of years ago, who were rioting and blockading in India, well, you know, right to protest, peaceful protest, this sort of thing, didn't go over well. And I... I can't imagine that he'll ever go back to India as anything other than a tourist. Well, I couldn't imagine it being a top destination for him as a tourist. He, he doesn't have a lot of fond memories, I think, of his, his visits. I mean, we just, we need dignity on the world stage mm -hmm. again. You know, diplomacy. You don't, as you said, have to agree with every action of the government, the leader you're speaking with. But when you're at an event like that, you set aside some of those things and focus on your common grounds and see if you can make some progress. But He's incapable of doing yeah, There was a great photo by the Canadian press of Joe Biden wagging his finger right in Trudeau's face, which none of the mainstream media uh, in Canada ran. But it just it just shows you what uh, what what Trudeau's thought of on the on the international stage. It's uh, just one embarrassment after the other, and uh, uh, you know the quicker he retires into Tofino, the better we can get a. Uh, you know, get some, start building Canada up again in the world because he's let the, you know, the military is now a laughing stock uh, in his relations with uh, with India and other, you know, Germany. You know, hey, we'd like some of your natural gas. Well, there's no business, no business plan here. So, yeah, well, it was a mess and uh, just utter, utter embarrassment. So I guess the question is, will he fight the next election whenever that is? That's a million dollar question, no. isn't it? I mean, but, there's a part of me that says, oh, yeah, please, because this is not a strong candidate. No. And they're sort of running out of time if he does resign to get a new one in with, you know, six months to a leadership debate. And then then the new leader, he's, does, he, he'll be like Daniel Smith, not having a lot of time before yeah. the next election. Beyond, you know, just dealing directly with Modi, which, which is still frustrating. I mean, India is a, one of the biggest economies in the world. It's growing. They're coming along. It's, it's not just uranium. Uh, lentils and cereal crops, there's things that... Uh, 
prairie producers really were looking forward to supplying to, to India. But there was the G20. There were a whole number of other leaders of other countries there. I mean, a, a leader could take advantage of that time to have other dialogues or, you know, things such as that. But I didn't see any indication of him doing anything over there. No, there, there was a lot of pictures of sort of where Canada should be seated and, and he wasn't there. Yeah, I think he actually skipped a couple of meetings right at the start. Yeah. But I have to ask you, as uh, Stephen Harper's uh, speechwriter, you've been on this plane I have. that uh, uh, couldn't that had to be rescued, uh, had to be fixed. What's it like? Is it luxurious and, you know, Air Force One miniature type? No, style? not at all. It, it is what it looks like, which is uh, an old airliner. Uh, the, the seats in it are... 100% economy class from about row six back. And uh, there is a partition for the prime minister's use. If you can picture what a 1960s windstream trailer would look like on the inside with that fake wood, that's what that's how they have this thing tricked out. They got it from Ward Air, or at least it came from Ward Air via CPR after, after Ward Air went out of business. And on one of my first trips, the young lady coming down the aisle with the, the candies and the Cokes and all the rest of the thing, a little black tray in front of her, and it actually said in yellow, Ward Air. This is on the Prime Minister's plane, you know, years after it had, had left uh, Ward Air. Tell you a little story about, uh, about the press and why it is so difficult to get this plane changed and why it is difficult to make repairs to things like 24 Sussex Drive. We were on a long flight. I went back there one day to chat with, with uh, people in the press corps. And uh, a fellow was complaining that it was uncomfortable back there. I won't identify him, but he knows who he is. And I said, oh, man, I'm just really, really uncomfortable back here. And I said, yeah, I kind of sympathize with you. Um, but what would you, like, if we actually announced that we were going to go out and buy a new plane, a comfortable new plane, what would you do? And he said, well, we criticize you, obviously. We pan you for wasting the public money. Well, I guess we're both going to have to get used to uh, economy class for a bit longer then, because he's absolutely right, and at least he was honest enough to say it. You yeah. can't do anything without having the uh, the... the the press turn on you as if you are a waster of money. You know, one of the ironic things is that sometimes it needs to be a socialist government, a government of the people, to actually get anything like that done. I remember they refurbished the, the uh, legislature in Victoria. It was the NDP that did it. If the Socrates had done it, there would have been a, a foul play. And with, the, with 24 Sussex Drive, it's the same thing. You, you never get that place fixed up, even if you wanted to. And the will seems to be disappearing because it would just be criticized as a as a waste of money for the benefit of the, the pleasure of the incumbent prime minister. The uh, the ultimate insult for Trudeau was, you know, Trudeau and Modi hate each other. And when the Trudeau's plane couldn't start, Modi took great glee in saying, Justin, why don't you take my plane home? You can borrow my plane. I'll give you a lift. I can, you know, take, uh, take the official Indian jet. So I'm sure that you got to... I'm sure he got a uh, chuckle out of that. It's, uh, and the state of that plane, as is Nigel saying, I mean, it, it's uh, been multiple governments that for political reasons just haven't kept up with those things. But it just adds so much insult to injury on what was already a bad trip. I mean, Trudeau isn't directly responsible for the state of that plane. No. 
but he's certainly wearing it today. I mean, it's just embarrassing when you're trying to play a world player. How many countries don't even have a backup plane if their leader got into such a circumstance that they couldn't get them out within eight, 12 hours? It took two days. Uh, I mean, there are some countries that don't even have an official jet. Great Britain does not have a, an official prime ministerial plane. Uh, on, on the other hand, uh, they've got their pick of British Airways anytime they need it. So maybe that's the way to go. Well, and as you said, too, I mean, a conservative government won't do it. But in the United States, they've even had some pretty conservative governments. They still maintain the White House, at least, and they'll maintain Air Force One. But perhaps some of the difference, too, is their head of state is the president. Ours, technically, is the governor general. And, boy, we, we aren't shy on uh, pouring <laughs> money into her budget and housing and, mm -hmm. and flights and uh, catering. No. I mean, uh, Buckingham Palace in London needed repairs. The repairs were done. It cost a whole bunch of money. And, you know, the anti-monarchists were probably upset, but it's something that the government realized needed to be done because it's Buckingham Palace. You know, surely as whoever the prime minister is, surely he should be able to to live in comfort and, uh, you know, greet world leaders in his house for dinner. And he should be able to to, to fly to these places uh, accompanied by his, his, his staff and the media. And right now, Canada, again, lagging behind the world. Well, we'll see. It seems to be often wait until things become interminable before we fix them. I guess there are new planes coming down the line. Apparently they have, they've hired, they, they've bought five new planes. So we'll see uh, the, the military has to get trained up on them and, and whatnot. So hopefully they've got rid of all the ward air trolleys. I think most people wouldn't begrudge the prime minister having, no matter whether they like the prime minister or not, a safe, secure means of, of getting to destinations. And likewise with accommodations. You know, we don't expect them to stay at the Super 8. But they could probably do better than 6000 a night. Yeah. You know, um, Corey, I, I think you do uh, many Canadians more than justice when they say they don't wish him any harm. But on behalf of all the staffers who travel with the Prime Minister or whatever party, let me just say, yes, let's have a safe airplane and one that's going to get you home. I want him out through the electoral process or resigning, exactly. not, not yeah. through a, a tragedy with an airplane. Not with a parachute. No. Okay. You wouldn't figure out how to open it. Uh, okay. Let's talk quickly about our sponsors, part of why we can stay independent as a news outlet and uh, have all these great stories coming out from our uh, plethora of opinion writers that Nigel manages and news sources all over that Dave manages. And that's because you guys subscribe. So this is when I... Oh, yeah, I was going to talk about sponsor. I, the subscription's important too, though. So subscribe. <laughs> it's $9.99 a month, guys. $100 for a year. It's a great deal used to pay for newspaper subscriptions without thinking twice. Well, this is the way to keep us operating, keep these shows going, and keep those stories coming, and get past that paywall. So get on there to westernstandard.news slash membership and take out a subscription. If you've already subscribed, thank you very much. We really, really do appreciate it. Uh, also, we do have sponsors, guys, and uh, I didn't want to neglect them, but we've had a great one for a long time. If you're a Pipeline viewer, you know them. It's the Canadian Shooting Sports Association. They've been a fantastic sponsor for the, the Western Standard, and they're a fantastic organization. If you own firearms, you want to own firearms, you need a resource on how to safely use all of that stuff. That's what this association is about. Those resources are there. And more importantly, of course, we have an ideologically driven government that wants to take away your right to have those firearms, to own them, to transfer them. You need to stand up for yourself, and the CSSA does that on your behalf. So get on there. Take out a membership with them as well, guys. It's very important. It's investing in your own freedom. Their website, CSSA-CILA.org. Or again, just search them out. 
Canadian Shooting Sports Association. All right. Well, let's talk about the next burning issue. We've got trans activists, trans issues, trans, trans everything. Dave, what if they finally crossed the line? You know, if they haven't tipped the the scale, it, it it's got to be coming pretty close. Uh, you know, you're you're seeing uh, uh, Muslim parents uh, protest across the country uh, uh, against uh, you know pronoun use and 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 gender stuff uh, in the school. And and this week's been sort of headed off with a Toronto Star column, uh, which uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Nigel. The headline said uh, uh, parents have no right to know the gender of their child. Oh, there it is. It's a privilege, not a right to know your kid's gender identity. I mean, come on. I know the the government wants to get uh, get involved and uh, uh, have as much control uh, uh, as you can, but there's been a government backlash to this stuff. Uh, It started in New Brunswick. Uh, Now it's spread to Ontario has said uh, parents have to be involved. Saskatchewan has said parents have to be involved. Manitoba has said it. Uh, I think Alberta, when they have their UCP caucus mm-hmm. meeting, will undoubtedly say it. But uh, yeah, I think uh, I think the balance is finally turning. Yeah, it, it is. Um, you know, kids have always gone through a difficult stage in early adolescence. Uh, some more so than others, but you know, we've been dealing with this for generations, and generally speaking, between parents and pastors and school counselors, sometimes a family physician, they get them through it. And they develop along perfectly expected lines. The boys become men, the girls become women, and all the, all the, the sadness of those early years becomes a memory. It isn't an indicator of things to come. If somebody feels a bit unsure of themselves when they're 12, it doesn't mean that they were born in the wrong body. Unfortunately, there are now people who evidently wish it were so. I find it strange that it is so widespread because we never had this problem 50 years ago, 60 years ago. Uh, But now in some communities, everybody knows somebody whose kid is transitioning. There are other communities, by the way, with different sets of moral standards and different sets of expectations where nobody knows anybody like this. So maybe there's a cultural thing that's part of this. But although I am glad that in New Brunswick and in Ontario, and I believe in Saskatchewan, the uh, the the um, Governments are pushing back against this. They're not pushing back very hard. All they're saying is, if it's going on, the parents have a right to know. Well, good. Yes, they do, and they should. Why are we not putting a stop to this, what would I call it, this proselytizing, proselytizing, like, I'll pick a different word, what I can say (laughs) after lunch, you know. Um, You know, they actually go out and push this message. Are you sure you're a little boy? How are you feeling today, little girl? No. You need to come down to the office and talk to a counselor. And the first thing, before you know anything has happened, they whip whip the kids off to um, a counselor and then to somebody who can actually help them. What I don't get is these doctors 
who say, well, you know, they're having gender problems when they're two years old or three years old or even younger than that. Some doctors have said you can tell in the womb. No offense, but come on. Right. I mean, if if you played with a Barbie when you were a kid one day, that doesn't mean you're having gender problems. Right. Um, and you're right. Uh, you know, I remember my kids uh, uh, 20 years ago, they didn't have these problems. And certainly nobody in their schools that we were aware of had any of these problems. But you're right. It's becoming it's becoming pushed and pushed and pushed into into kids by the media a lot and by activists uh, a lot that, uh, oh, yeah, you know, maybe I do want to be a girl. And uh, it's, so I, I think it's changing. Uh, yeah, and I think the story here is that um, parents will put up with a lot. But when they actually feel they don't even know what's going on with their own child, wait a minute, and they push back. And the politicians are listening. They may not be doing all the... Nigel Hannaford thinks that the politicians should be doing, but they're doing something. And I would say that this is a, um, this could well be something that uh, the Conservatives pick up on and will do them nothing but good. Pierre Polliver is very public that he is pro-choice, but I don't think that Pierre Polliver is in favor of somebody coming to his kids in school and saying, I'm tempted to say, are you sure you're not a liberal? But, uh, <laughs> you know, well, he's, you got sure? a, he's got a young daughter that age. Yeah. You know, I think she's you know, five. Are so. you sure you're not a little boy? Uh, he would, he would go ape over that. And people would vote for him on that basis alone. Just saying no to nonsense. That's some of it. I mean, to, to note, I, I looked into, you know, this is a story. It's by columnist Julie. Malga Bogat, I'm probably destroying the pronunciation of the name. Uh, I identify as an English speaker, though. And uh, coincidentally, her son uh, was born uh, a girl, but she uh, transitioned or announced at eight that she's trans. Now she's 11, and they're indulging her and dressing her as a boy and calling her a him. And I, it's just you know what, that's your choice as a parent to indulge that, I guess, and whatever. But what you're talking about is taking away the parent's ability to take part in whatever's happening with the child. That's where a line is being crossed, whether you're left or right. Don't always assume your school. What if your child goes to a Catholic school and you're a progressive and you don't like what the school is teaching the child as far as the faith goes? Well, according to this person, you shouldn't have that right to know that. It's the school's right to raise your child, not yours. That's a big line being crossed with these activists. Yeah. And yeah, you have to look at these activists that they were responsible for the entire uh, cancel culture. Right? They were a powerful group and still are. When you get uh, when you get the mob, as I, the bang Twitter mobs, as I call them, uh, you know, against something, it's very difficult to to turn that around. But I think people are, have now had enough. They really had enough. And I think the, I think the activists have hopefully met their match in some of the school boards, some of the education ministers, some of the premiers, uh, which are now being involved. And I think you're right, Nigel. I mean, it's, it's a common sense way to win an election. Uh, you know, imagine Trudeau or whoever the, <coughs> the opposition is to to Polyev saying, "Well, no, I don't agree with you. I don't think parents should have the right." 
Yeah, I mean, that's political suicide. Well, right uh, you know, he, apparently he said something like in India, like that in India. And uh, that probably didn't help how things went there either. But it's, you know, don't mess with my kids. No. Well, it kind of surprised in a sense. I mean, they're, they're always watching a convention closely to see if something way out there will come out. The media is watching, the activists are watching, the liberals are watching. And the convention dis debated and said, we are going to oppose medical intervention on children before they're 18 on these trans issues. And some of the usual suspects came out howling about that, but you know, it actually was more muted than I would have thought. It wasn't the gotcha moment. And I think even the progressives are realizing that the lines been crossed. I mean, there are some progressive nations that have that sort of policy, Norway, Denmark, I believe, a few of those others, they're pretty progressive, but they said, no, 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 we aren't cutting parts off and we aren't medicating these children until they're 18. That's it. We, we can indulge a lot of things, but we're not doing anything irreversible until they're adults. And yeah. I, I think most people see it as a reasonable common sense position. Just common sense. But uh, will they be given credit for that? I, I, I think the liberals don't realize that it's not a wedge issue yet. They're still trying to make it work. Yeah, well, I mean, the problem with the liberals is that uh, they genuinely don't understand that this is highly offensive to people. I mean, this is, this is actually undermining truth you know we've got this way because we live in a postmodernist age where whatever you think is true is true for you good enough well people are starting to say no actually there are boys and there are girls they're not the same thing they're not interchangeable and that's true that's going to be hard for the progressives people that's deep-seated value now, this lady that you uh, talk about here well i'm i find it I find it a surprising point of view for her to take. But at the same time, as you said, she's actually, even though she's trying to make an argument against parental rights, she's just demonstrated by what she's doing with that child that as a parent, she can do it. Well, <laughs> yeah, and, and, and you know, trans people exist. There were men trying to be women a hundred years ago yeah. you can find some you know you never know what oscar wilde might have even been into but they've been around but they've been a tiny minority of individuals and if they're adults and they want to live that way i'm happy to indulge as much as possible but they ask us to set aside reality and i don't think most trans people do i think it's the activists i mean when they're saying that a man can suddenly say i'm a woman and enter a weightlifting contest you're asking us to set aside physiological reality they, they, they pushed it well, outside into the absurd, and, and uh -huh. I, yeah. Well, men now rule women's sports. Yeah, you know that's what it's become. Yeah, that's one of the features of the cultural revolution we're looking for: is that whatever is the latest uh, victim group gets to assert its moment in the sun, and the the last one gets cast aside. What price feminism now? You know, trans rules. You want to assert your rights as a woman? You know. Move over. We've got a man who can lift a heavier weight than you, swim faster, mm. run faster. We've faster. won the battle of the sexes. We have won the battle of the sexes. <laughs> Took it back. And I mean, we, I don't know. Just, how far do we go with indulgence? You know, you, you know, a person identifies as such fine. But I mean, a person identifies as Napoleon. We don't give them a couple of divisions and say, go to Europe. You, you can only <laughs> go so far. I mean, we want to be accommodating. But I think the line crossed is children, though. Leave the kids alone. Yeah, you know, actually, you, you offered that as a throwaway line, Corey. 
But that's a good point to take home. If somebody identified as, well, you said Napoleon. All right. Somebody identifies as Napoleon. You know where that's going. That's, that's for counseling. And ultimately, if they can't shake them of it, polite uh, confinement where they can't do any... <laughs> Well, they can't do any harm. The loony bin, is that what you're trying to say? Uh, Dave, don't be well, so crass. Uh, that's Napoleon, a he can invade France or invade yeah. uh, England and, and maybe, from the loony bin. Yeah, I took it down the wrong line. Because I, I mean, I, I, a person who's identifying as a different gender is, is certainly not conventional in thinking. But I think it can be adults without causing any harm, and, and they can live a life as such. I wouldn't call it a, 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 as bad a, a mental illness, perhaps, as, a, as thinking you're a, a long-dead uh, French general. But <laughs> Well, I don't know which is uh, less harmful, really. I mean, at least the guy who's the long-dead general can parade around in uniform and border people around, but nobody's listening. But he's not changing society. No. <laughs> you know, his, his thing. His authority is still pretty limited in reality. Yeah. Uh, who knows? Well, we've... Oh, I can't go further with this one. No, right. no, it's time to change something. Sure, let's get on to the housing, of course, and that's a huge one right now, affordability. Everybody's feeling it. I think we're all feeling it when we look at kids, grandkids, or whatever, wondering how on earth are they making ends meet, or even people uh, at more age if they don't have, haven't locked into a good mortgage already and they're renting. It's getting bad. And uh, Ottawa's making it worse, as usual, it seems. Dave, we've got some uh, green codes, do yeah, we? Yeah, no shocker there from Ottawa. The uh, uh, Fraser Institute did a big study on what the new liberal uh, plans for greening your house and reducing emissions from your house. Uh, we're not talking about you after a chili fest. Uh, you know, emissions from your house, green emissions. And the, the Fraser Institute says in British Columbia, those, uh, those rules were, will add an extra $85,000 to the price of a new home. $85,000. This, uh, I mean, keep in mind, the average price in Vancouver is already over a million dollars, and now it's going to be another $85,000. Uh, in Alberta, it's going to add $35,000 to the price of a home. Uh, Premier Smith was quick to jump on that yesterday and uh, sent out a tweet saying, look, this is, you know, another kick in the... And they're growing to Alberta, and we're not going to put up with it, and, and all that kind of stuff. But it's, you know, a carbon tax, now green energy houses. It's they're they're pricing Canadians out of livability is what is what they're doing. Um, uh, just think of it. Just think of trying to save eighty five thousand dollars as a down payment. Uh, it takes years, mm -hmm. and now they're adding years onto people being able to save up this extra eighty five thousand. It's crazy. So around 85000 is one big expense. The other big expense is the cost of the paperwork that goes into getting a permit to even begin to build a house, and then as you're building it, to complete it. It has been calculated that that million-dollar house that you're speaking of in Vancouver, $300,000 of that is in... Everything except wood and gyp rock and concrete, and it's all the, the what they used to call the soft costs when they were the gatekeepers. Now, the gatekeepers. Yeah, well, that's, I mean, you know, whether you're a liberal or a conservative, you want a house to live in, and so you should be listening to somebody, somebody who's got a, a sense of why things cost what they cost. 
to then add this other green charge on the top, you end up with a $600,000 house for which you're going to pay a million dollars. And then you've got to buy the lot. And then, of course, the, who knows what that can cost you in Vancouver or Calgary or Toronto. Um, it, it's the, it, it invites the question, Dave, and I, I'm going to ask you, do you think that it's actually a plan, an intention to make things more ex expensive and to impoverish people? Or is this just a bureaucracy that is out of control, led by people who don't understand? I think you've got a bureaucracy led by Stephen Gilbo, who is a radical ad activist. Mm -hmm. uh, and he's happy to do all these things because that achieves his green utopia. Uh, and I don't think uh, Trudeau's smart enough to realize the damage he's doing. Or alternatively, he is all for it. Or, because exactly, he's all for it. I mean, Corey here has, has written and spoken several times about the, the plan to drive us off the roads. Drive us off the roads, make our houses unaffordable. What exactly is the vision of society that this conjures up? Well, I, I mean, my thoughts are for some, some, some it's just, yeah, bureaucrats being bureaucrats. They support bloat, they support delays. That's just their nature. But some, I think there is an ugly ideology underneath. I think Gilbo is one of those. They see humanity as a negative thing. They see it as, as a bad thing that needs to be sidelined, reduced. And it's also backdoor communism. It, if we can keep, I mean, the solution always when it becomes untenable, well, the state has to step in then. The state will have to build the housing. The state will build those brilliant Soviet-style long-row apartments that I got to see back at the end of the 80s when I toured over there. Yeah, you don't freeze to death. You didn't starve to death over there, but boy, you sure weren't living. Mm. Uh, but they realize that people won't vote directly for that sort of policy, but you can really incrementally put people into that corner, and you make it more and more unaffordable. The state keeps assuming that role. Mm. And... Uh, you know, you bring in more things. Wealth taxes, that was the latest, too. We're going to hit the, the rich and, and save the poor, but it never works. Just wait till they tax your uh, capital gains, your, your, you know, how much money you've made on the house, which is the retirement plan for mm -hmm. most Canadians, and uh, the government takes 30% out of that. Wow. So is that is that looted? That's, you know, the CMHC always talks about it. They're always preparing reports. So At their last cabinet retreat, the, I talked about that before, the Liberals brought an activist. He was the one who keeps writing those reports, calling for an equity tax on primary residences as their guest speaker mm -hmm. to talk to them. They, well, if you aren't, if you really aren't going down that road, as they keep denying it every time it's brought up, then why do you keep studying it and listening to the people who are promoting it? You know, they tried that 40 years ago, and of course it, it went nowhere, thank heavens, but the idea was that if you owned your house outright, then you had an advantage against somebody who didn't. And the fact that you'd earned it and paid for it and done everything right to put yourself there wasn't, wasn't considered. But the idea was that if, you, if, if your house commanded a certain rental value, if it would rent for $1,000 a month, $2,000 a month, well, that's like having extra income, isn't it? So you should be taxed on that. Imputed income. That was the phrase. Um, it didn't go anywhere, but these people are out there. It's the politics of envy. That, that the same activist, uh, one of the statements in his report even, he didn't even sugarcoat the ideology behind it. So people fell into windfall wealth with their home ownership uh, as it gained value while they watched TV and drank beer. That's what he said in it. Like they, they, they don't 
recognized that a person had to scrimp and save for years to get that down payment, that they had to maintain the house, that they had to put off a lot of other purchases. You know, these, these activists that do this are usually the ones that, oh yeah, I took a three-year tour backpacking Europe before I came back to Canada to start working on my student loans that I feel is unfair that I have to pay back now. Other people put their nose to the grindstone and bought a house, and now you're saying they shouldn't have the equity within it. It's offensive. But it's the way they think. But I mean, another aspect that makes it tough, I gotta admit, those of us who did buy the houses, who did our building within them, there's not as much incentive on the part of those voters to see house prices drop. Uh, no, if you're in the market, you're laughing. Yeah. If you're not in the market, you're crying. I mean, to be fair, I'm not saying the market should be crushed, but it, it does make it a little more politically difficult. You don't want to uh, sell to people. By the way, we're gonna reduce at least the speed of the appreciation of your asset. But it's, we're getting so much immigration and refugees and whatnot. If we don't have places to house them, it's, it's going to be chaos in cities across the country. You know, hundred, you know, how many immigrants coming this year? Well, 500,000. 500, I don't know whether anybody really knows because there are people who come in via the airport, hand in their paperwork. There's also folks who come in as students and then just kind of regularize their their uh, status here, which is fine, you know, except that what numbers are being counted when the uh, government defends its immigration record. I think we had a story uh, this morning, did we not, that um, we need 3 million houses by 2035, is that right? Yeah, it sounds like a right figure. Yeah, and, and I mean, I, I don't want to just repeat campaign propaganda, but uh, I guess the Oliver wouldn't have said it if it couldn't be justified that we actually built less houses last year than we did in 1975, which is insane if we're going to have population growth of that. I don't want to minimize the effect of gatekeepers and all the things that we've just been talking about. That drives up house prices as well. But if you then just create a, a demand uh, that pushes the prices up even further, the only... Uh, the only possible outcome is utter chaos and a demand, as you said, for the government to do something. And what will the government do? Is it going to be at co-camps? You know? Well, I mean, we can do two things. We can reduce the demand. That's what the government has within its control with immigration. But they won't even whisper or mention that. Mm -hmm. Or build more supply. But as we've seen, that was what you're speaking of is from a CMHC memo that went to Trudeau a year ago. And he didn't act on it. Mm -hmm. And it was saying we, we are coming up short by a couple hundred thousand how, units a year on what we feel we'll need within the next seven years. So it's cumulatively going to get worse. Well, Corey, is it going to be the same people who criticize you if you drive an SUV and may even let your tires down overnight who are going to say, well, if you're living in a house and you don't have somebody staying in your basement, you're a selfish pig. Is that going to be guilt tripping people I, who... I absolutely expect that social pressure to start coming yep. up. Um, just the same people who say excess profits, those two words, when they stick them together, just uh, great on my oh. nerves, you know, uh, because then it's, it starts building that presumption that you aren't entitled to what you might have earned with a business. You aren't entitled to that spare room once your kid moved out of it. Yeah. No. You know, one of the things that most people, whenever I hear that phrase about excess profits or pay fairing, fair, fair share of taxes. Fair share, yes. Yeah, I always, I, I always remember that people earning over, I think it's over... Uh, Top, the top 1% of Canadian taxpayers, highest incomes, pay something like 40% mm -hmm. 
of the entire tax burden uh, that, that everybody pays. And if you drop that down from the top two, 1% but down to the top 10%, it's something like 90% of all taxes paid are by the, by the top earning. So how much more of a fair share could there even be? Never mind, should there be? How much could there be? 40% of people, by the time you, 40% uh, of taxpayers, by the time you balance out the taxes they pay and the benefits they receive from government, or even Stephen, 40%. It's, yeah, the, the fair share is never enough for some of the yeah. ideologues. So we will wrap up, though, with uh, pivoting to another of the entitled, and she really is, a Jan Arden <clears throat> is, is uh, resurfaced. I mean, she's kind of a yesterday's person, but she's still lurking out there and making noise, uh, I guess trying to become relevant. Uh, well, she, maybe she, she accomplished it, we're yeah. talking about her. She was insensitive, so to speak. Sorry, yes. sorry about that. Uh, yeah, and you know, she's not a nobody. She was a stampede parade marshal a couple of years ago, so uh, got her own TV show and whatnot. But uh, holy cow, she lost her mind when uh, Pierre Polyev, uh, flying home to Calgary from Quebec City on the weekend, uh, uh, had the audacity to take the PA system and make a short 45-second speech announcement. You know, he was kind of funny saying, you know, rough weather for the next two years, but then we'll we'll get through it. And uh, yeah, she lost her mind. Said she's going to boycott uh, WestJet and never fly with them again. Um, good luck with Air Canada, Jen. Uh, uh, and yeah, and and the the uh, Twitter reaction was swift and severe. Uh, you know, she wasn't even on the flight, and she was complaining. And then people people took her to task, uh, uh, quite rightly, I think. Uh, we haven't haven't heard anything that she's going to apologize, nor I don't think will she. I don't think she will, and you know she just wants attention, so she got it. Darn it, we've we played into her hand, Dave. How do how do we yeah. do this to ourselves? She uh, really is humorless. She blocked me on Twitter a couple of years. No, ago. I, I know it's a long list of people who have, but. Uh, I mean, in this case, I was trying to play a bit of humor and a musical reference. So let's give that, that story. She'd put out a tweet, just throwing it out there. There was some sort of event in Las Vegas. And uh, uh, she posted a link and said, come on, girls, who wants a girls weekend out? Everybody join me. We can fly down for this event. And she'd not long before that been shooting at Alberta's oil sands, of course, which is popular among people who benefit from Alberta's money. So I said along the lines, well, you can't do that. It wouldn't be uh, environmentally friendly. It's, it's inappropriate. You and your friends need to get on your bikes and ride, which was a nice reference to a, a Queen song about fat-bottomed girls. And I thought she would have seen the humor in it, and it got me an insta-block out of the whole affair. But uh, no, don't, The song was even blocked on the Queen's... Uh new, uh, you know, best hits albums. They didn't put that yeah, one on there because of the, the woke uh, well, aspect. I, I don't it. get that. We're not supposed to wait shame. Fair enough. We should be more considerate of people. Fine. But I mean, I, that, that was a song celebrating uh, the beauty of, of women with a, a few extra pounds on them. It, how is it now inappropriate? We can't seem to win. Otherwise, you know, maybe everybody just needs to lighten up. That would be really a nice uh, change, I, wouldn't it? Wouldn't that be an idea? What would we have to talk about then? Oh, we find something. I suppose we would. I mean, we can find things. It's what we're talking about. Find things to get wound up about, though, mm -hmm. without uh, you know losing our sense of humor or a bit of a. I mean, with Arden, though. I mean, there was a point made. Or Makachuk uh, wrote about it, and, and uh, I think Slobodin might have touched yeah. it. Uh, but when these celebrities <clears throat> go after a business for the having dared allow somebody on that. Again, the privilege, speaking of this, a term they like throwing at us all the time. Well, there's a lot of 
working people that rely on those companies. There's a lot of people that you're saying that you want to put out of work. You want to reduce the amount of revenue to that company. I mean, they, they really, I don't think that many people are really going to care and reschedule their flights just because Jan Arden won't go on it. But the, the principle of that is actually yeah, kind of she's, odious. She's a Calgary songwriter. She's Calgary Live. Lives in just outside Calgary. Made a career. Mean you know a lot of what's happened in Calgary. As I said, she's been a Grand Parade Marshal at the Calgary Stampede. And then to go and attack a Calgary-based airline, just struggling still to get back up after the COVID thing, is just just silly. You know, Jan, stick to trying to save horses being shipped off to uh, to asia good on you for that mm -hmm. but uh give it up on WestJet. yeah it's it, it of all things to make a fuss about yeah. frankly why yeah. i mean first world problems <laughs> and as was pointed out it was just thin skinned i mean hey you're a celebrity you take part in politics you can say you know oh look it's polyev being shallow and playing to his crowd on a plane what a clown case closed move on but it's called for a boycott. It's just uh, there were some great uh, things on uh, Twitter yesterday of uh, liberals making announcements. Yes, they had the uh, uh, algebra or whatever his name is yeah. on the when he was transportation yeah. minister. You know, making an announcement on a on a via train, and uh, apparently I, I haven't seen it, but apparently there's footage out there of Trudeau on a plane doing the, doing the same thing. But, well, good on Westjet. They didn't apologize. No, but apparently they are looking at their rules again to see if they should be changed. Well, let's hope they stand strong. Let's hope they stand strong. Well, yeah. no. The only question would be a passenger's complaint. If they complain, okay, well, you, you paid for a flight you didn't want, that, but I didn't hear about any passengers. No. You know, if I ever find myself on a WestJet flight and I find myself seated by, beside Jan Arden, I will not tweet about it. No. I will just take it as this is life. We have we have a word that, that was in, big. We have a word that was invented the last couple of years to describe people like Jan Arden, Karens. Yes, Karens. Why that's Linda Slobodian's article. Linda Slobodian's line. Please, yeah. uh, everybody, go and read it. That's kind of sad. I'll, I'll close off just with one that one note. When all the baby names are coming up and everything, Karen's a very popular name. The mother of my first son was named Karen. Not a single child was named Karen the other year in Alberta. Like that. That name has social media and trends have actually completely destroyed what used to be a popular name. It might take another generation before we see new Karens on the, the block. Mm. But Jan will take a roll on for it, I guess. On the other hand, among your admiring fans, there are new Corys being born every year. Oh, that's course. Popular 70s name, but still, no. still someone. Still <laughs> all right. Well, we'll close it on that positive note. And uh, thank you all for tuning in, guys. Even those of you named Karen or Jan, we do appreciate <laughs> all of you. And uh, be sure to check in with us again next week. We'll be doing this all over again. So thank you, Nigel and Dave. Always a pleasure. It's just good fun. And thank you, Jan, for giving us something to go on about. We'll see you next week. The current Lethbridge feed grain prices are as follows. Cash barley is holding at 340 Feed wheat is unchanged at $3.58, while corn slipped $3 to $3.55. In the milling wheat markets, December Minneapolis futures inched up 2.5 cents at $7.81 per bushel, with local hard red spring bid for September movement at $9.25 per bushel delivered. Over to the oil seeds, nearby canola futures are off $1.90 at $750.40 per ton, with delivered values for September movement at $16.67 per bushel. 
And in the pulse markets, red lentils are trading at 35 cents a pound. Yellow peas remain at $11 per bushel. Looking at the cattle markets, October live cattle dropped 77.5 cents at 183.37 per hundredweight. For more information on picked up and on-farm options, give me a call at 403-394-1711. I'm Vera Buziak at Marketplace Commodities, accurate real-time marketing information and pricing options. Canadian Shooting Sports Association. Without the CSSA, our gun rights would have been taken long, long ago. These guys are on the front lines helping to draft smart and intelligent firearms regulations and legislation in Canada, and more importantly, educating the public about how we keep guns out of the hands of the wrong people. To become a member, it's absolutely worth every penny. You can become a Western Standard member for just $10 a month or $99 a year for unlimited access.